Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, I'm David Blight. Welcome to Slavery and Its Legacies, a podcast of the Gilded Lehrman Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition. Slavery and Its Legacies interviews visiting scholars, activists, and others about their contributions to the understanding of slavery, past and present, and its ongoing role in the development of the modern world. Hello, this is Thomas Thurston, and today I'm with Manuel Garcia. Manuel received his PhD from the University of Essex. He's now a professor of Latin American history at the University of Leeds, and he's published extensively on the subjects of slave resistance, slave rebellion, and the uh, and the transfer of uh, techniques of West African warfare uh, to the Americas. Uh, his books include Seeds of Insurrection, Domination, and Slave Resistance on Cuban Plantations, The Great African Slave Revolt of 1825, Cuba and the Fight for Freedom in Matanzas, uh, West African Warfare in Bahia and Cuba, Soldiers, Slaves in the Atlantic World, 1807 to 1844. Manuel, it's been great having you at the Gilder Lehrman Center, and uh, welcome here. You're here. You've been working on a very interesting project on, um, for an article, I assume, on, uh, on the, the panda, the, the slave ship panda, uh, and how it connects in a lot of the kind of legal aspects uh, to the story of the Amistad. But before we go into that, I'd kind of like to know how you got started, uh, how you got interested in this uh, line of research. Okay, thank you very much for having me here. Not only here, but also at the, at the Gilded Lemon. Uh, I f- felt very welcome. Well, uh, I ended up working on this basically as um, this, this became like a proxy project on, uh, as I was working on uh, the, the book I'm working right now, which is an, a book that is... Uh, uh, attempting to unravel the, the the history of the fighting against disease in the slave trade, especially in the late period, in the late mm-hmm. decades in the 19th century. And it became very clear to me that uh, as, as I was mining the sources, there was a lot of information about many other things. And, and one that jumped out of a page very early on and that uh, caught my imagination, maybe because when I was a kid, I actually liked pirates. I don't know how to say that, but I think that <laughs> we all—you're not alone. <laughs> I think that we all have some kind of romantic uh, perception of piracy when we were kids, yeah. uh, thanks to Errol Flynn and all these people. So yeah, um, it was—it was apparent that that uh, these slave traders that I was looking at, I was also looking at the British and the French and the, and the Portuguese and uh, and their efforts to to abolish the slave trade and to fight against disease at the same time. But uh, it became apparent that. Uh, these slave traders I was looking at in this period, I would roughly say post 1825, they pretty much were also pirates. The, the uh-huh. Piracy and and the slave trade became complementary economic activities for them. So very often they would do both at the same time. And you can, you can see that not only in the reports that the British or the American or the French are going to produce, but also in their own letters. Like uh-huh. it, it's very clear there are, there are there are preserved letters, for instance, from slave traders in, in Brazil complaining to slave traders in Cuba because they had attacked their ships and taken their slaves. Uh, oh, okay, so, okay. So, so this is not even the British talking or the American talking or, or the French talking. These are the very slave traders complaining to each other about specific cases in which they are going to be 
robbed by other slave traders. So this becomes like a complementary activity. Or, yeah. So is this something that kind of begins to happen uh, in the early 19th century, or do you trace it back further? And, oh. and what is, what's responsible for the convergence of piracy and slavery? Yeah, well, the, the, the age of piracy is obviously the, the 17th century. Sure. To a certain extent, it, it carries on until the 18th century. And now we have piracy. Of so piracy is not something that goes away that easily. But um, in this case, I think that is a direct result of, of events that are taking place, uh, taking place in the Americas mostly. You have the wars of independence uh, mm. in Latin America. And, and then these wars they are going to create a situation with uh, privateering that didn't exist before. So you're going to have Colombian, Buenos Aires, uh, Spanish privateers, everybody attacking each other, American privateers. Everybody's attacking Everybody. So, could, could you just for a yeah. moment just distinguish between a privateer and a pirate? Oh, uh, yeah. Pirate, I, I mean, so a, a privateer is, is a pirate that has a license from a government to, oh, to sure. carry on okay. the, the plundering. Okay. Right. Uh, so these this guys, they have, they have licenses from, from governments, for instance, New Granada or Colombia or Venezuela or Spain or Buenos Aires, which is actually quite active, or Brazil even. So they are going to, they are going to undertake these this, uh, uh, activities along the, the coast of Africa, especially mm. the west coast of Africa, mm. but also in, in the along the coast of Brazil and mostly in the Caribbean, in the West Indies, to a point that the Americans uh, perceive this to be such a massive problem that they did, they create um, a West Indies squadron, they call ah. it the Home Squadron, ah. to go there and, and, and abolish this privateering. And when the Americans actually, and the British, they finally put... Uh, these privateers down, they actually move away and they continue to, to engage in the same kind of activity. So it's kind of a continuation. Uh, and they, but now they are pirates. No one, no one is backing them up anymore. Right. Is there now? Is are they abolishing the American intervention? Is that strictly for uh, privateers and not for slave traders? Even privateers, privateers. Yeah, uh, okay. just interested in, in American ships not being plundered anymore. Sure, and, of course. And this case, uh, the case of a panda with a with a Mexican, is a classic case of l later on where you see they are attacking American ships. Right. The Mexican. This right. is it has an, a Mexican name, but it's an American ship. Now, of course, uh, you know, as far as uh, the uh, the European powers in the United States are concerned, uh, uh, slave trading itself by this time is illegal. So, I mean, no. this is an illegal activity of itself, but there's still a distinction between uh, piracy and slave trading at this time, or are they being, well, well there, they're starting, there is they do both. Yeah, there is, there is and, and uh, you cannot say that the American authorities, British authorities, French authorities, they are constantly discussing the possibility of, of equating um, slave trade with piracy. And the truth is, it's very often that you find slave traders, for instance, resisting uh, stop, us, uh, stop and search uh, activities of the right. British or the French, which they were, they were not supposed to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, so in many ways, they're actually behaving like pirates, sure. but the activity as such, a slave trade as such, is never, until very late on, is not, is not um, uh, considered, it's not defined as piracy, but the, the activities they are doing they are becoming more and more the activities of a pirate. Uh -huh. And I'm going to put you an example, for instance. Right. It's very common that um, in, the, in the late 1820s, early 1830s, that these slave ships are going to leave from Havana or from Santiago de Cuba or from Puerto Rico or from Bahia, and they are going to lay in waiting for the slave ships that had gone to Africa. They're coming back with, with uh, African slaves, and instead of spending all the time going to Africa and having to barter for the slaves over there and all that. They just wait for another slave ship that is coming. They take their slaves and then they tell them, okay, beat it. Go back to Africa and get another cargo. This is mine because they have more guns. They have more uh, uh, weapons in general. Sure. They're very heavily armed uh, in this period, very heavily armed.
Well, it cuts down on overhead. They don't have any expenses uh, when uh. you're stealing it. Uh, so, uh, so tell me a little about uh, the Panda and and the the U.S. Uh, ship, the Mexican, and yeah. and 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 that because I think it does kind of illustrate this fine line between uh, piracy and slave trading. Yeah. Well, the Panda actually had been a slave ship before, and this this you can find almost with any of these ships. I mean, changing the name of a, of a ship was very common. Yeah. Uh, precisely to avoid uh, being tracked down. And the panda is uh, that it was known as Intrepida and the Ligera before. It had even been captured in 1826. So it had been taken to Sierra Leone. It had been sold to slave traders or somebody mm. acting on their behalf. And it had been engaged again in the slave trade repeatedly. They had re uh, uh, gone to Africa a few times. It is really, um, uh, this, is, this is actually it's a very illustrative case in the sense that because it ends up in an American court is picked up by the press by, by in, in a moment in which uh, there is this kind of revival of uh, piracy because there have been several pirates uh, in front of, uh, of U.S. courts, especially in the East Coast. So um, this this case in particular is going to become very famous. And, and the reports on, on what happened on the attack of a panda on the Mexican, which I can describe in a minute yeah, if sure. you want me to, uh, they are going to continue to, to be published well into the 19th century, actually in the 1880s, 1890s, there are still magazines that continue to reproduce this. And whenever in the future anybody's going to talk about pirates in the Atlantic, somehow Pedro Rivera and the crew of, of the panda right. are going to show up. Right. And this is why you and I like pirates. It's the same thing yeah. back then, is that, is yeah. that these stories capture yeah. the imagination yeah, and people want to read about them yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, decades and decades after the fact. But these are, these are vicious men. I mean, it's not just that they are pirates because you can yeah. understand that they are going, once you engage in an act of piracy, you're going to try, the pirates, they always have this code of dead men tell no tale. tale. So um, they are they're always going to try to kill the people if they can at all. But the truth is that the pirates of the panda, or the slave traders of the panda, they, compared to other pirates of the period, they were relatively mild, as they didn't really kill anybody. I mean, mm. they were yeah. trafficking Africans, so yeah. you have yeah, to put right. this within context. But when they attack the Mexicans, they don't kill anybody. They try to sink the, boat, the ship, on the other hand, Although they didn't do a very they, good work. But they put people on lifeboats? or no, I mean, no, 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 no. They left people on board and, and they just tried to sink the ship and, and to set it on fire, but it didn't work. But they, they destroyed the ship, basically. The ship was left in a way in which could not be navigated. Right. But the sailors managed to put it back together and taking advantage of the currents, they went back to, to New England, to Salem. Okay, and so what was it? What was the um, the Mexican carrying as far as cargo? What, what, uh, what was the Mexican looted? had uh, like fabrics and uh, like stuff, trading stuff to take to Rio. I honestly, cannot remember very much now. They did have a lot of money uh -huh. that was uh, at the beginning was concealed from the pirates, but eventually they, with violence, they started beating up people. Yeah, and somebody uh, talked and, and said where the money was because they were about to kill the captain actually. Uh, so in that respect, they they. they managed to plunder the ship and what they are gonna do is but they take all this this uh, stuff that the the um, the ship had on board they are going to go to africa where these people they have very good contacts especially in the region of cameroon and, and cape lopez which is today gabon right uh, and the idea was to go there and exchange the the uh, these fabrics and whatever else they they got from the from the mexican for the slaves and mm -hmm. the problem is as well that uh, um that they are, as soon as they arrive in Africa, they start getting ill. So they need to go to Principe, the island of Principe, or sure, Prince in, right. in South Tomé and Principe today, to put the, some of the sailors in, uh, in a hospital to recover. Uh -huh. And that actually, is a, this is the moment when the British were already here, the story, because the stories are traveling very fast across the Atlantic in this period, 
this this uh, British captain actually spots the ship and and decides to go after them. Yeah, that's worth thinking about. Is that yeah. that this this episode uh, off the coast of the United States? Uh, is, I assume it's somewhere. Yeah. Well, it's, it's off the coast of uh, the Azores Islands, but yeah. oh, it's, oh, when they it's meet. Uh, pretty far, but okay, okay, pretty far. Far from everywhere. Yeah, but news gets back by the time they arrive. Uh, news has already yeah. preceded them. Yeah, They're, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. It's, uh, news was circulating very fast at that time, and. Um, as I tell you, it was not only it was not only this British ship that was aware of of the of this right. act of piracy. Many ships were looking for right. So for the, American, the Americans, the Americans, they sent ships to Africa to look for for the panda mm-hmm. because everybody knew they were in Africa somehow. And there's a the African squadron of the are they uh, the U.S. Uh, African squadron are they well the on U.S. the, the U.S. Too, didn't or? have a real squadron in the 1830s in in West oh, okay. Africa they had they had ships that would go there occasionally the squadron really goes there in the mid 1840s okay, okay. although pre- previously they had had one okay. but they had Liberia so they would mm-hmm. they will always have ships um, sort of offering protection to the to the to this colonial outpost in, in West Africa in Liberia. Okay, so the crew of the Panda are are uh, recuperating off the coast of, of West Africa mm. uh, at uh, in in Principe. Principe, yeah. yeah. Uh, and are they are they apprehended there? Is that where they're? No, they actually uh, the the this British captain, Captain Trotter, he he actually misses them, and then somebody somebody never said whom, giving the, the the information that they are in in the River Nazareth in Cape Lopez. Mm. Uh, and what there they have a Kim Pasol who was a very f- well-known slave trader at the time. He had been educated in England, if I recall well. I may be wrong here, but I think he was. He spoke English perfectly. There are several yeah. reports of people who visit him and, and talked about his demeanor and, and engagement with the transatlantic slave trade. And Kim Pasol basically um, promised to give him up. He actually had a chat with, with Trotter and he promised to give him up, but then he doesn't. Mm. And the British basically go after them and they capture a number of them, like the first mate escaped, several of them escaped. And apparently, this is not proven, but uh, this may be of the interest of anybody listening to this, there is a treasure they bury uh, somewhere in Cave Lopez, and it's never found afterwards. <laughs> it's somewhere there. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, so they, so they, they, have they, uh, uh, have they taken uh, uh, captive Africans aboard at this time, or they have they? No, no, they, they they're didn't. just recovering, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. are not to that point. So there is. They were any... negotiating. They were in a negotiating okay. process when when the British arrived. Okay, so they're captured and and uh, and taken to. The... Ah, they they take a bit of a tour of of the Atlantic. They are taken to Principe, and then they are taken to Ascension Island, where the British they have uh-huh. a, they had a. Um, a station, yeah, and they are set free in the island for a year. So for a year they are wandering around, and they are several times they have opportunities to escape, and they don't, which is a very interesting thing. Why are they are they set free as uh, uh, are well? You, are they marooned or are they? Are they, they it's, it's kind of marooned because you cannot go anywhere unless right. you have a ship. You know, you can take yeah. a boat and have a have a go, but you're so far from everywhere. Is it expected so that no one should give them passage? Yeah, 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 so yeah. they are, in a sense, kind of... Yeah, they're kind of uh, prisoners, but prisoners, at large. But right, yeah. And um, after a year, the, the Curlew, which is the ship of uh, Captain Trotter, is finally allowed to go back to England. So they are taken back to first to Portsmouth, then to Plymouth. And over there, they try to negotiate with the Spanish consul to, inter- to in- in- intervene, so they are free. But it doesn't happen. And actually, uh, they are then... At the request of, of the American government, they are going to be surrendered. So this is one of the first cases of international extradition I know of. Right. Probably if the first one. 
huh, documented, but I cannot prove it because it's not my field. Uh, yeah. But I actually have been trying to find similar cases previous to this one, and I cannot find any. I may be wrong again. Was there, what was the, wh while they're in um, uh, Portsmouth and London, what, what have they been charged with by the British? Is it slave trading? Uh, no, uh, an act of piracy. Oh, piracy. Uh, they're, they're, oh, of course. They have been arrested because of an act of piracy. So, and that's uh, the, the attack, anyway. the attack on, on the Mexican, the American yeah. uh, ship. And because it was an American uh, right. ship, yeah. Uh, so anyone, any uh, nation uh, can charge someone with piracy. It doesn't have to be the injured uh well, you know, the, the British and the Americans are, are allies at this uh, period, at this point, you know, so they were the French as well. So right. the, basically, the Americans, they, they sent out the, the uh, these this men were considered to be a danger to everybody. And the English, the British, they had invested a lot in abolishing the slave trade. And they were very aware from consular reports and the reports of mixed commissioners and, and, and reports of uh, Navy officers that there was a consistent uh, overlapping between slave trade and piracy. Uh -huh. So to them, it was not a very difficult call to go after them right. based on an accusation of piracy. They were not accusing them of anything. Right. The British just, um, they, they, they become the executors of, of, um, of an international warrant, if you want. Uh -huh. So, uh, but uh, of course, the United States, uh, who have plenty of evidence and, and witnesses and, and injured uh, parties from, from, yeah. from the Mexican, uh, 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 ask for their return. Yeah, and then they are extradited. Okay, after a, after a couple of months. So so okay. So and 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 when they arrive in Boston, uh, which is where they're tried, what year is it? What this is eighteen thirty. They arrive in Boston in August eighteen thirty five. And when did the attack on the? Uh, uh, this is uh, November eighteen thirty four or September eighteen thirty four. Okay, Sorry. so this all this kind of adventure. That's a whole is, year. It's taken a whole year before they're finally. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and people are. This is a big story. When it they becomes it becomes a bestseller. I mean, I'm telling you, they 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 start publishing. I have never. I've been working on the early 19th century my entire well, since my entire academic life. Um, and this is the first time that I actually was com mentioning this yesterday to some people. It's the first time that I get to have so many pictures in a PowerPoint presentation. Usually, I don't even have PowerPoint presentations. And and it, it's, there are so many sketches like like in. Imagine sketches of the activities of the pirates along the, across the Atlantic, but there are also sketches of them when they are in court. So that, that really, you can see their real faces. Right, right. Uh, which is very unusual. And then it becomes kind of a, of, of a, a more uh, common thing to do this, right. but not at this, at this time, so far I know, uh, as I know. And so this actually is kind of this is when this sort of popular press, this kind of yeah. this kind of book. Uh, uh, is going to be uh, marketed and distributed widely yep. throughout uh, the United States. There's a lot. I mean, there's a, this is a whole genre yep. of, of of kind of books of, well, of they, famous criminals. And yeah, they do it again with the Amistad, you know, right? Yes, which is a much better case, yeah. better known case. Okay, so so tell us how the um, how the trial proceeds. Well, they are basically taken to a court in Boston. They are they have this um, um, Supreme Court judge. Uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Story, which yeah, is a well-known judge, yeah. uh, who also presided over the, the appeal in the Amistad case. And uh, basically the trial um, is centered around two main issues. First, that the sailors are identified as, um, as, a, as a, the, the slave traders and the pirates. You know? mm -hmm. The crew of the, of the Mexican is there and they basically identify them. There is one of them actually who, who rattles them. He, he testifies against them. 
Uh-huh. And then there is the issue of the cook, which is um, very important as well, because even if there would have been pirates having a slave on board, would have made them, uh, would have turned the ship they, into doing something illegal anyway. Uh-huh. So uh, they had they had an African man on board. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, it's pretty convincing that the argument for saying he was an African. Whether he was slave or, or free is a different thing. Right. Uh, but he had scarifications that they were uh-huh. classic so, scarifications from right. Africa. And even though he protested, so uh, he, he protested the, the accusation of, I mean, the suggestion that he was um, a slave African, or, or, uh, or both, both oh. an African and a slave. He said he was he was a Creole and he was uh, well, free. free but then the judge actually makes a very good case, which is a very good point, which is like they would, if you were um, a slave, you would never say it, right. You will never tell, right? Because if you yeah, if you then tell, you then, then the whole thing would be an illegal activity anyway. Because you only needed to have one slave on board to be declared a slave trading in slaves. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so what is the so so, so they are sentenced. To, they are sentenced. Five of them are sentenced to death. One of them actually managed to escape because of a previous, um, uh, a previous event that had taken place in his life in which he saved uh, the the whole. Uh, all the passengers and the crew of an American ship that uh-huh. was sinking. Uh, so because of that, people interceded in his, on his behalf. Uh-huh. Andrew Jackson pardoned him. Huh. The other, uh, the other ones, the, the rest of the group who are sentenced to death, they are all executed. And um, and that's that, basically. The, actually, this guy who is pardoned, next year he's back in Boston, and the press actually is very keen of, on... on He's a celebrity. He's back. He's a, yeah. As you will remember, this is the one of the pirates that we put to trial last right. year. He's back. So, how does this all connect with the story of the Amistad? Well, um, first of all, there is a connection with the judge, obviously. But beyond yeah. that, I think that this is more related to the issues that they are raised in the in the case of the of the uh, panda. They are going to have a very close connection with the issues that are going to be raised in the Amistad. Actually, before I get there, I mm-hmm. actually, I was, uh, when I made the presentation at the Gideon Lemon Center, uh, David Bly, the director, actually made a very good point. That is that usually we discuss a lot about the Amistad and, one, uh, and what happened after, but we know very little of, of the events leading to yeah. the Amistad and, and what events may have had an impact on how the Amistad trial uh, developed. And this is, this is probably, I would, I feel very comfortable arguing that probably a main event uh, before the Amistad case that could have had a direct impact on the decision-making process. Because first of all, the the case of a panda becomes so popular that right, everybody knows knew. it. You, uh, and then Boston is just down the road from from New Haven, so you right. would expect the people who were in the jury in Boston in 1839 to have read and heard and have an opinion about what happened in New Haven in 1835. This, although this was not not an isolated case. There was so much press on that mm-hmm. that they would have come across this case, and they would not be impervious to this case when when they sat on the, on the right. as, a, as a jury in, in the case. And then, of course, there is Joseph Story, who is the same person, although he's not in the case of the Amistad. He's in the in the appeal case in 1840, right. 1841. Right. But again, he has a, he had a very strong opinion against slave traders. Uh, so this this could have actually had an impact on on him as well. Uh-huh. Plus, the most important thing here, obviously, is that the case of Amistad is going to be defined by the issue related uh, by, by an issue that is related to identity. Were the slaves on the Amistad African Africans or Creoles? Right. That's what determines the, the whole case. Had the case been had the, the, the outcome been that they were uh, Creoles, they would have been given back to the Spaniards and sent to Cuba. 
But when it was a pandemic, there were Africans. By extension, it was a time they were free. Uh, and so the Spanish had lost their case. And, uh, and, and the reason or the, the main argument they used to determine that the Africans were Africans was A, that they could not speak Spanish. That right, was not right. the case of the coke and the panda. But the second one was basically the scarification that they had. The scarification uh-huh. usually from the Poro society in, in West, Af- West, Ent- yeah, West Africa at the time. Right, and there, and of course, both cases involve uh, uh, as as somewhat of a party the the Spanish government in the sense that they, uh, in both both cases, yeah. I believe, uh, intercede and uh, yeah, well yeah, try yeah. to intercede, yeah. uh, 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 claim their innocence, demand their yeah. They safe pull return. they pull everything, every 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 weapon they have. They lobby before Andrew Jackson in 1835, and they actually sway. Martin Van Buren on their, on their side in 1840. So hmm. it's, they, they did have a pool. They had money. They had uh, they were very strong uh, influences there. As, as you actually commented the other day, maybe the southern states also had something, to, some, something um, a role to play. I have to investigate that a little bit further. Hmm. All right. But, um, yeah. So, uh, so how are you taking uh, this story and uh, incorporating it into your, into your broader broader uh, mm-hmm. project. That's an interesting question. Well, I haven't started reading the, 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 the book yet. I'm still researching. And um, I, I wrote this because it was, it became really, really too obvious, the connection. Okay, the connection sure. was so obvious that I said, I cannot wait. I have to write this. It was like an urge to, to write it. Um, still needs a lot of work. This is just a paper and it's not an article yet. But obviously it would be part of a book. This is, a, this is as I said before, this is a period in which uh, slave trade and, and and piracy, they they overlap with each other. As a matter of fact, the other really famous case of this period happens only four years before. No, actually seven years before. Although the pirates are um, pirates slash slave traders are hung in Cadiz and, and um, Gibraltar four years before in 1830, 1830 actually. Mm-hmm. And this is the case of uh, the famous Defensor de Pedro, which was a Brazilian ship in which uh, uh, a bunch of the crew takes over the ship, and many of these guys had come from the Caribbean after uh-huh. the, the Americans and the British had kicked them out. Uh-huh. So they ended up in Brazil as, uh, in a slave trading ship that was going to Africa, and they take over the ship, and they start attacking ships. And these, these were really vicious pirates. I mean, they attack yeah. the Topaz, which is an American ship, in which they kill everybody. They raped the, the women and the children, and then they kill everybody, basically. Uh-huh. So they this, were, this, were, this was another level of... of callousness and, and violence that the, the, right. the virus of the of the um of the panda really never reached although as i said before these were slave traders so you should not assume right, that they can. were yeah. um you know like nice people or right. by any means right and it sounds like in some ways they did the only reason no one on the on the mexican was killed was out of kind of incompetence and in, in being unable to uh, yeah to completely Which is the same the reason they are always cut. Every time you have a trial of a pirate anywhere, it's because they, they're incompetent. They didn't, yeah. They, because when they someone, actually succeeded, survived. whenever they yeah. succeeded, no one could catch them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there yeah. was nobody to tell the story. Okay, so Manuel, I ask this of everyone who comes here, but could you recommend for uh, those of the listeners who are interested in this topic uh, some other uh, books or resources that they Yeah, like? sure. Well, as, as I said, uh, there will be my book at some point, but right now it's not there. So I would probably uh, start by suggesting to read David Head, uh, Privateers of the Americas, which is a recent book from 2015. Yeah. Uh, there is also from 2013, there is um, 
Matthew McCarthy's uh, privateering, piracy, and British policy in Spanish America. Um, and then, obviously, we have the books of Marcus Rediger, who is probably the main right, expert yeah. in the topic. He has written not only on Amistad, but he has also uh, written extensively on piracy. And he has a book from 2005, which is entitled By Villains of All Nations, which is a, a foundational book. And also, more recently, he has another book that I, even, I like even more, which is called uh, Outlaws of the Atlantic from 2014. Uh-huh. So all these books could actually... Uh, be useful to get into the into the topic. Yeah, uh, this I mean is is um, uh, a fascinating look into uh, into nineteenth century. Uh, well, so many aspects of nineteenth century, in, including yeah. uh, including the fight against slavery on the seas. Uh, and uh, I don't need to tell you uh, what a pleasure it's been having you here in Thank New Haven you. at the center. I hope you can come back again soon. I'm looking forward to the book. Uh, I know. <laughs> you have to be very patient. Okay, I'll be very patient. But uh, it sounds like uh, it's going to be an amazing book. And uh, thanks so much uh, for being here. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me there. Slavery and Its Legacies is brought to you by the Gilda Lehrman Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition, a part of the Whitney and Betty McMillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale University. Additional support is provided by the Rabina Foundation. Each episode is produced by Thomas Thurston and Daniel Vera with additional production support by the Yale Broadcast Center. For more information about the Gilda Lehrman Center, its activities, and this podcast series, visit glc.yale.edu.